following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. our salvation. Cause thy anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thy anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. But let them not turn again to folly. Psalm 85, verses 4 through 8. Almighty God, it's very clear to me that there is much wrath stored up against America. For we have sinned in every way against you, lifting up every unclean thing, going about our ways, wicked ways, loving the things of the flesh and the world, the devil, setting our own pace and then coming into your house as though it were a place to come and scoop up a little bit more of sugar and then go back to the vinegar of the devil. Lord, I plead your mercy for your church today. 
for every person listening to this broadcast, I plead, O God, will thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee. I pray, O Lord, that the word you will speak today, that you will speak to your people will be peace, and that your saints will not turn again to folly. Lord, quicken this word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I want with all of my heart that if you are not converted, you will be converted now, not sometime in the future that you will turn right now to Jesus. I was interested in the word conversion. It's found often in the scripture. Converted, conversion, metamorphosed, changed. Well, when we look up the word conversion in the dictionary.com, let me give you some of their definitions. Change. Spiritual change from sinfulness to righteousness. And that's not make-believe righteousness. In the English language, when it says spiritual change from sinfulness to righteousness, it is not speaking of what we have called imputed righteousness. It's talking about imparted, real, real righteousness. Another definition, a change of attitude, emotion, viewpoint from one of indifference, disbelief, or antagonism to one of acceptance, faith, or enthusiastic support, especially such as a change in a person's religion. This is conversion as identified in the dictionary. It's my purpose today to show you from the scriptures a part of what it says about conversion. It would take many such presentations to encompass everything, but let's go right to the heart of the matter. When we look at what happened at Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, the day of Pentecost came when they were all together in one place. I think that is significant. It is because a people had the courage, the fortitude, to not go back to their fishing village and begin fishing again and saying it's all over, Jesus is gone, and now we're responsible to pay the bills. They put aside everything they were doing and a hundred and twenty of them gathered. It would be very difficult today to gather a hundred and twenty people to pray for ten days for the Holy Spirit, but that's what this early church did. That's what they did. Now, if following Jesus does not cost you anything, you have not been converted. Conversion is very expensive. It costs you all of your time, all of your energy, all of your money. It is not, conversion, let me repeat, is not a little sentimental experience and a spiritual high. Conversion is a conscience event. It's not a woo-woo event. It's not a sentimental emotional event, even though there will be strong emotions attached to it. Conversion is a conscience event where we come to Jesus and suddenly we see ourselves as we are in our wickedness and in our ways. And in that time, the power of the Holy Spirit comes and he causes us to weep over our condition. 
And if ever there was a need in the church today, it is for absolute and total repentance, conversion. Because most who are in the church today, and many of you included, are still walking in your sin and your wicked ways, and you have never made a full surrender to Jesus Christ. And you need to repent and turn from your sin. You have your own ways of doing things. You have your own set of standards. You have your own ideas. You have your own responsibilities. You have everything in your life laid out and you want to go grab a little bit of Jesus and think that that's going to satisfy the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will not be satisfied with that kind of cheap grace. He will be satisfied with nothing less than total conversion. Repentance. Turning. A change. It is done supernaturally, but it is a decision that we must make. And so the day of Pentecost came. They were washed and clean. And they were then filled with the Holy Spirit. The reason the church is so powerless today is that we have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And even those who claim to have been baptized in the Holy Spirit have brought into the church the world's systems, the world's music, the world's program. It breaks my heart that Men and women think they have to send their children to some entertaining Sunday school instead of having them in the main sanctuary where they can be touched by the Holy Spirit and hear the Word of God. When I was four and five years old, I was weeping over my sins. As a child, I was deeply convicted of my anger toward my mother and my father. I was deeply convicted over the way I was feeling about my brothers. I grew up under deep conviction. Do you think your child is going to grow up under deep conviction going to a little arts and crafts and little baby songs in some kind of Sunday school? I don't think so. But you're teaching your child to do the same thing you do. Blow in, grab and growl, and get on with your life. It doesn't work. Your children are little pagans summoned to the judgment bar of God, and they will die with you in hell if they are not converted, totally changed transformed do you think a child of six and eight cannot be totally changed and transformed i was and many others are are you giving them that opportunity so after the coming of the holy spirit peter stands up and he begins to preach to the crowd because they're scoffing, they're making fun, they're saying they're drunk. Please understand when I say this. If you are converted, you will not please the lukewarm crowd. They will call you a fanatic. They will call you names. They will judge you. They will say you are lost and not saved. They will say all manner of unkind things about you. But they, do they have the fire of God in their heart? No. They have lots of knowledge and lots of human wisdom, but no fire of God. How many souls have you brought to Jesus? Where are those that have been converted by the testimony of your life and your words? Or are you too lukewarm to worry about 
the souls of lost men and women, then you have not been converted. So Peter preaches his sermon. He gives the Old Testament passages out of Joel. And then he accuses them of their sin of crucifying Jesus Christ. And the scriptures say in Acts 2.38, Peter replied to their question when they are cut to the heart. They're saying, what should we do? And Peter answers this, verse 38, repent. What's it mean to repent? It means to totally change the direction of our lives. So now a person who reads a little devotional in the morning and heads off to work and is totally focused on making money and being successful, that person is going to have to totally change. And they're going to have to begin to devour the Word of God and pray and seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. There is the water baptism, but Paul speaks in Romans, the sixth chapter about the deeper baptism of entering into the grave with Jesus Christ and dying there. What does that mean? He speaks also in Galatians about being crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It literally means I have been converted from a consumer, from a selfish, self-centered, judgmental person. I have been converted into a tender, loving person who looks like Jesus Christ and acts like Jesus Christ. I now receive judgments and mortifications without biting back. I no longer cut off men or women. I no longer choose to be harsh or judgmental. I choose to receive from the hand of Jesus whatever he chooses to give me. I am totally dependent now for everything in my life upon Jesus Christ. And now he gives me a work assignment with the government, with a private company, as an entrepreneur. And in that place my task is to serve others and to speak the word of life to them and call them to likewise be repenting of their sin and turning to Jesus. A young woman that I've been praying for for some time was given a Bible by one of the members of the National Prayer Chapel. I've been speaking to this woman about Jesus several times a week when I see her. This last week, her face was cast down. And so I said to her, Your expression is so sad. Is there no joy in your heart? Oh, I'm happy. I'm serving my pagan gods. I said, No, you're not happy. Your face does not lie. What's happening? She said, I'm reading the Bible. Ah, She's reading Genesis. And she's seeing the power of God move. And she is sensing the moving of God in her heart. And he's bringing her to conviction. My whole heart is that she would be converted from a pagan-loving, bisexual, to a sold-out, beautiful woman of God who would have all new ways, who would be filled with the joy of the Lord, who would absolutely die and surrender every part of her heart to Jesus. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the removal of your sins. It says in the King James Version, in the NIV Version, and several others, for the forgiveness of your sins, but the word is ephemi in the Greek. It means a total removal. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, If you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is because your sins have not yet been removed from you, and the work of conversion is not complete in you. Now please understand, conversion, conversion happens in a very short period of time. It is not the continuing power of God that deals with character issues and confronts us that we must repent as we mature and grow in Christ. This is a putting away of all known sin. And when we have put away all known sin, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes in power into our lives. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord, our God, will call. Does that include you? Yes. You wouldn't be listening to this broadcast if God were not calling you. But now the work of conversion must be finished in your heart. And that's going to require very serious repentance. Now the structure that they adopted with this true conversion was everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miracle signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. That is, they did not hold back from one another the finances necessary to support one another. Why is that listed first? Well, because there were thousands of people who became Christians very rapidly, and they were all from out of town. And they were staying, and they were listening to the teaching of the apostles. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. They had to have money to pay for housing. They had to have money to buy food. Resources were necessary, and we're told in biblical history that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea spent their fortunes financing the early church. We're told that men and women would bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet. They would sell property that they owned. They would bring it and lay it at the apostles' feet. This is what financed the beginning of the New Testament church. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the model of the New Testament church. Not once a quarter, not once a year, baptizing a handful of people. This is to be a constant, growing stream of men and women who have heard the good news, who have repented of their sin, and who are on fire for Jesus and lay it all down for him. Now Peter is on his way to the temple. Peter and John. And as they're going, there is a man laying there, begging. And they all recognize him. He's by the gate beautiful. They all know him. He's begging. He's, he's crippled. And Peter says to him, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. He took him by the right hand, and he helped him to his feet. And as he climbed to his feet, his ankles grew strong, and he he jumped up, and he began to jump and shout and praise God. And this drew a large crowd. They all knew this man. And suddenly he's been healed in the name of Jesus. A crowd gathers, and Peter again begins to preach to them. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power of godliness we made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murder be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Now please hear me. Until you recognize that you personally crucified Jesus Christ on that cross, you will not be converted. Until you recognize that it was your sin, your disowning of Jesus, your wicked heart that put Jesus on that cross, until you take personal responsibility until you take personal responsibility for the death of Jesus Christ on that cross, you cannot be converted. Conversion does not mean simply an intellectual agreement that I need to be saved. Conversion means an absolute and total taking responsibility for my actions, for what I have done, and how I have treated Jesus, how I have treated the Father, how I have grieved the Spirit. Until you can see Jesus crucified on that cross and know that it was your sin that put him there, you cannot be converted. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. You perhaps have acted in ignorance, believing that all you had to do was go forward and say a little sinner's prayer and you were saved. Wrong. You're not saved by saying, I repent of my sin. You are saved by repenting of your sin. Big difference between saying, Jesus, I repent of my sin. Now I receive you as Savior. Come and dwell in me, Jesus. That's called by Bonhoeffer, cheap grace. That's not what it means to be converted. That's a spray paint job. That's an inoculation against the real gospel of Jesus. Until you're willing to lay your life down, you have not been converted. Remember, conversion by definition, according to a, a worldly dictionary, means a total change. A total change. A change of view, a change of action, a change of how I function. Some of you have have thought religion was conversion. Some of you have thought that self-righteousness was conversion. No, crucifixion is when conversion takes place. Paul speaks these words to them. Repent then. Turn to God. Please, if I turn to God, I am turning away from the world. I'm turning away from my ways. I am turning away from my attitudes. I'm turning away from my tight-fistedness with God. I'm turning away from my judgmentalism. I'm turning aside from my self-righteousness. I'm turning aside from my accusations. When I turn to God, I'm turning away from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if you still love the things of the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of your eyes, if you still have that in your heart, you have not turned to God and you are not converted. Conversion means I turn aside 
and I seek Jesus with all my heart. I turn to God, and I say, I'm done with the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm done with the old way of life. And some of you, please, I don't mean to offend you, you've been satisfied with such a low level of life for so many years, you have no clue what it would mean to leave your depression, your fear, your anxiety. You've been so inoculated. You think that a Christian life is supposed to be hard, empty. I want to tell you, a man who's been converted dances and shouts. He's filled with the joy of the Lord. He rejoices that he can lay it all down for Jesus because he has found the pearl of great price and he sold everything he had to purchase it. And oh, he walks around. Let me show you my pearl. Who have you gone to this week and said, let me show you my pearl of great price? It cost me everything to buy it. But oh, look at the glorious shimmering and beauty of this wonderful pearl I purchased. Is that your heart? Are you on fire to show men and women your pearl of great price? Jesus is that pearl of great price. Repent, turn to God. Your sins will be wiped out. And times of refreshing will come from the Lord that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Do you want Jesus to come to you? Are you tired of the same old, same old? Do you want something new? Something alive, something vibrant, something filled with excitement? The life of Christ? Then be converted. So many scriptures I want to talk to you about. So many scriptures I want to talk to you about. Lord, show me. Show me what you want me to say. To understand when you are converted, you are separated from idols to be joined to the living God of heaven. You are separated from what is common and earthly to be wholly emptied for the service of God. Let me read this for you. This is perhaps the best definition of conversion I have found in all of the scripture. I'm going to begin reading in Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, this word for new creation is new in the sense, the Greek, the sense of it is that it has never before existed. So when you're converted, you become something new that has never before existed. It is your personality. It is the essence of you changed into the likeness of Jesus. So... When Adam fell, we know that man had originally been created in the, in the image of God. And the image of God is righteousness, holiness, and true knowledge. When Adam fell, 
He had a son born in his own image. That is a sinful nature. When the new creation comes, it is now a reference to complete restoration from the conditions of the fall. No sinning Christian can lay claim to being a part of the new creation in Christ because you are a new creation. You are not created half wicked and half righteous. Reconciliation has happened. Now, what is reconciliation? It's a big word. What's it mean? It simply means that there now is a condition of absolute harmony and peace between you and God brought about by Jesus removing all of your sin and removing the wrath of God that was against you. That's what conversion is. It is the removal of man's sin and God's wrath and creating of you a new creation that has never existed before. Now, please tell me, have you been converted? Or have you simply tried in the flesh to gussy up the old man and make him look a little better, dressed him in some new clothes maybe, tried to restrain your wicked heart, and you do most of the time until you finally give up and go back to your pornographic images, or your anger, or your bitterness. You try as hard as you can to control your anger, but it gets out of the control and blasts somebody and hurts them. Have you been made into a new creature? If you have not been made into a new creature, you are simply a religious person. But you are still lost. What I'm trying to say to you is that there is a place reserved for you in Jesus Christ that is beyond anything you can imagine. And you are going to have to get on your face before God and begin to go down there and honestly deal with God on every area of wickedness in your heart. You're going to have to name that wickedness if it's anger, if it's drug addiction, if it's alcoholism, and you're going to have to stay on your face, and you're going to have to repent of that thing, and you're going to have to declare that thing finished in your life as you wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and sovereignly remove that thing from you. It is the work of conversion of totally changing you from that old man into that new person in Jesus Christ. That's conversion. The purpose of the atonement of Jesus is to remove your sin. Ephesians 1.7 It was sin that brought death an eternal separation from God, according to Genesis 2.17. The removal of the condition of sin that brought death then necessarily brings us back to spiritual life. And once more, we can fellowship with God. Note that sin, death, and condemnation exist inseparably with the condition of the fallen man. Now, accordingly, when these things are removed from our life, we are a new creation in Jesus, created so by him, circumcised by him. So it's the work of Jesus Christ in the atonement that makes possible a salvation that totally restores you to the condition of Adam before the fall in the garden. You are restored to a condition of purity. So reconciliation does not merely exist in paperwork or in some declared 
make-believe righteousness. No, it is a vital change. It is a real change from sin and death to righteousness, to innocence, to life. Look at Romans 6, verses 13 through 23. So it is not possible to be reconciled to God and still be walking in wickedness, in sin. Sin is finished. It's over. The ministry of reconciliation then must call for the removal of sin, else it is not a ministry of reconciliation. Now I want to be clear with you. This is what the National Prayer Chapel is all about. We're not a place where you come and try to grow out of your sin. We're a place where you come to confess your sin, to admit your spiritual condition, to, if necessary, sit on the mourner's bench. It is a place of reconciliation. It is a place of revival where we pray According to the passage opening today, revive us once more, O Lord. Turn us from our folly. This is what the National Prayer Chapel is about. And so I do not invite you to visit the National Prayer Chapel. I ask if you need to come to deal with your sin and to be prayed for and to gain the victory now over your sin, then come and gain the victory. You cannot grow out of your sin. You can't grow out of your sin. It must be supernaturally removed from your heart by the reconciling power of the blood of Jesus Christ. So, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, he tells us in the verse prior, Therefore, we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. What do you mean? He's saying you once regarded Jesus Christ from a worldly point of view. You saw that there were certain advantages in following him. When he was on the earth, there was a certain advantage to following Jesus because You could eat the bread and the fishes that he provided for you. You could be a part of the excitement watching men and women be healed. But he finally turned to the crowd and he said, Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no place with me. And many people stopped following him. Why? Because Jesus was saying, You can no longer view me from a worldly point of view. Now, please, may I ask you? Do you go to church from a worldly point of view? Do you show up in church for the bennies? You know, for the social enjoyment? For the fellowship? For the wonderful children's program? Do you regard the church of Jesus Christ from a worldly point of view? Or you do you regard it as the body of Jesus Christ and you go to that church crucified with Christ, ready to love and serve and nurture your brothers and sisters? Do you go to listen to the sermon for the piercing arrows of the Holy Spirit that reveal the character issues of your soul? Do you go to church from a worldly point of view or do you go to that place to be absolutely united in the body of Christ? Paul is saying, we once regarded Christ in this way from a worldly point of view. We do so no longer. When you're converted you no longer view the church 
as a place of inspiration. You no longer view it as a place of gaining social contacts or business contacts. You no longer view the church as a place where you can be reassured in your self-righteousness. You view the church as the body, the broken body of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if there are but two or three in the church. Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am doesn't need to be thousands it just needs to be honest people who don't view it from a worldly point of view a selfish point of view a self-satisfied point of view for people who view the church as the body of christ are we perfect (laughs) no many of us who go to church are quite immature And we say things and we do things that we should have thought out more carefully and prayed through more thoroughly. I have made many mistakes in the pastoring of the National Prayer Chapel. But I have not left the body of Christ. Have you been reconciled with Jesus Christ? Verse 17, this is 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is true conversion. If you do not have the newness of life in Christ, if you're still walking in sin, you've not been converted. If you have been converted, the sign of that conversion will be humility before Jesus, no longer viewing him from a world's viewpoint. You will come and say, Jesus I earnestly desire with all of my heart to obey you. And the joy of my heart is to bring the message of reconciliation to other men and women. I was walking with Pastor Ray Brigham, who has now gone on to his reward. We were walking through a grocery store. He wanted to buy some walnuts as a snack for all of us as we were on the road traveling to a Holy Spirit renewal conference where we were to speak. So we went into the grocery store. I went with him. Our driver remained in the car. And as we're walking toward the cash register with those walnuts, suddenly Ray is gone. And I look around. What's happened to Ray Brigham? I see him over over in the grocery store by a wall and he has a young man's hands in his hands and they have their heads bowed in prayer and tears are coursing down the face of this young man. They pray together. Ray Brigham lays hands on him for the coming of the Holy Spirit and then he comes walking to me with the broadest smile and those bright piercing blue eyes And he said, that man just found Jesus and was converted. I was absolutely astonished. I said to him, how did you know to go to him? He said, the Holy Spirit pointed him out and said, go call him to be converted and to repent of his sins. He just did that. I was absolutely dumbfounded. 
This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. You don't walk like other men. You don't act like other men. You have a whole new agenda. The agenda of your life is not to go to the grocery store and buy something. Your agenda is to go to the grocery store and be directed by the Holy Spirit to bring redemption and reconciliation to someone God will point out to you. The job in going to the job, the work, is to find someone who needs to be reconciled to Jesus. We only have a few minutes left in this broadcast. I told you yesterday that the National Prayer Chapel was being completely renovated, redirected, refocused on our agenda. And our agenda is the coming of revival in America. Our agenda is to see the Holy Spirit come and bring true conversion to the hearts of men and women to redeem America but he has to start in your heart and mine. I am praying daily for the fullness of the Pentecost blessing of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray that for me and for yourself as well? Now, should you come to the National Prayer Chapel? I don't have a clue. All I know is that you need to come if the Holy Spirit is calling you to get rid of your sin and to repent. If you're looking for the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to come. Tonight we're going to be praying about that in a special prayer meeting. We're going to begin at 7.30 at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come to the to the side door by the mailbox knock and you'll be allowed in but only come if you're going to come prepared to pray in repentance or you're going to come and pray for the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you'd like to come you're welcome it's the All Saints Anglican Church located at 14851 Gideon Drive Woodbridge, Virginia it's right beside the Hilton Memorial Chapel on Gideon on Gideon Drive. Now, please, in this total reorganization and redirection of the National Prayer Chapel, finances are extremely tight because many have said, we don't want to do this, and they have left. We are a remnant, and we are going to stand by faith for the finances for this radio broadcast and for what needs to happen at the National Prayer Chapel. If you want to help, if what I've spoken to you today is your heart, then would you please go to our webpage and click on nationalprayerchapel.com on the donate button. And would you give, even if it's 10 or $20, would you give? And would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And would you step forward and lay at our feet the funds necessary to pay for this radio broadcast? I love you, my brother, my sister. I pray God's richest blessing for you today. I'll talk to you soon. You blameless before the presence of.